0: Good morning and welcome to Friday Live here on NET Radio. Much of today's show is pre-recorded as we continue to protect ourselves and our guests from the spread of COVID-19. I'm Genevieve Randall. Ahead in 20 minutes on the show, two online streaming concerts presented by Doan University in Crete. Later in the program, we'll talk with Lincoln Symphony Orchestra about their concert tonight. NET's William Padmore will spotlight art in Norfolk and the music director from A Tada Musical that opens this Thursday in Lincoln will join me in the studio. We start our program this week with a concert that explores concepts of home and features a piece of music that will have just been adapted just days before the performance on Thursday, April 15th. The concert is hosted by the Lead Center for Performing Arts in Lincoln and is available both in person and streaming online. The musicians featured are part of the Silk Road Ensemble and they'll present an audio-visual performance called Home Within. Joining me to talk about that are two musicians, and Asma and Kevork Murad. Welcome to Friday Live this week.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much, Ovi. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
0: Keenan, I'd like to ask you a question first here. You and I spoke actually a couple of years ago for a podcast that NET produced called The Plain Story Podcast Season 2, The Sound of Home. And that conversation involved ideas about home as well as uh, music and ideas of music as hope. And it looks like this performance, Home Within, that's right in line with some of those ideas.
1: If you allow me, Genevieve, to just make a... Uh, a quick correction, uh, Kevork, who's uh, my partner in crime in the creation of this project, I'd like to think of him as a musician. He's a visual artist, but he thinks musically. He thinks in terms of art in within time, which visual artists don't usually do that, but Kevork is a musician at heart. The whole concept of home, the questions of home, what does home mean? I think has been a, a part of not only my music making, but also what I think about life in general, since many, many years. And I think this question became more apparent when, once you start to relocate. Uh, you know, I was born and raised in Damascus, moved to the U.S. in 2001. And took me a few years, and then I feel now very much at home in, in New York, but also equally in Damascus, but also anywhere in between. There are two main thoughts when it comes to home. Uh, One philosophy suggests that home is uh, where your memories are, where your family members uh, might be. Uh, Other people suggest that home is where you feel more comfortable, the most comfortable in a very practical and pragmatic way. I always thought of home as the place that I wanted to contribute to without having to justify it. And in a way, when you think about home in, in such a way, it's a very dynamic concept that goes along with identity too the more places that you would call home, I think the richer life you lead. So Home Within as a project is in line with lots of the music that I create, which reflects only not on spaces, but people. I think people make homes. And I think this new version of Home Within, which was created by Kevork and I, to, uh, and having it include uh, the Silk Road Ensemble, we're inviting other narratives of what home can be yes the project itself maybe is about syria but syria at the the end of the day of what happened in the last 10 years is not only a syrian tragedy it's a it's a human tragedy things like that did happen in time in the past and may unfortunately happen in the future so by bringing more people to the conversation to the creative process we're just including more and more voices to the whole discourse
0: Kevork, I'd love to hear from you. Um, You are a Syrian-Armenian visual artist. I'd like to hear about your role in Home Within and how the two of you put this together.
2: The whole idea of home for me has layers. Like I I look at my work as like sculpture in time. So every slice that I create, it kind of creates space where we can go back and see what was it there when we left. So, when my ancestors 106 years ago, they arrived to Syria as refugees, uh, escaping the Armenian genocide. Uh, the local Arab community they welcomed them, and we kept our culture and language because of that. We were happy, we thrived there, and all that. But the last uh, 10 years or so, we see another waves of immigrants and refugees left Syria, including Armenians and Arabs. So, I feel like. One more time, I'm witnessing something that happened to my ancestors, but this time happened in both Arabs and Armenians and other minorities too. I wanted to create a work where we can capture what was there before, because if we don't do that in our art, I don't know who else is going to do it. I don't think we can rely on historians or the news because everything is very polarized in a way we see in the news. But when Western audience have access, especially now, to the art side of what's happening geographically there, it makes them richer and more personal to understand what was there from our point of view as an artist. So my background is different from kinan's background. We try to capture um, our memory. We become like a uh, Syrian people's voice. When Syrian people see our performance, I feel like they see themselves in the work. And when we put that in our work and we move it from place to place, it feels like how our ancestors brought with them their memories, their home-like things, they planted in Syria, and now Syrians are trying to plant it different parts of the world to continue with home for them.
0: A note exists in time and then it's gone, but a piece of visual art can remain, although you can also alter and change it. I'd like to hear how you've meshed these two different ways of expressing something. And especially from you, Kavork, if you could talk about how are you a visual artist over time?
2: When I create a line, I feel like this line can change its own course based on what the music is dictating. I feel like almost like the mirror reflection of sound in it. So when I create a straight line, that straight line can't continue when the music is next to it. So basically, emotionally, we're binding together to kind of reflect on what we're feeling in that moment. We have narratives, ideas, and scenarios about the piece. But at the same time, we keep some spaces for improvisation. And those moments are very crucial, especially When things are advancing all over the world, here in Syria, we want to reflect how we're feeling at that moment. When sometimes Kenan expresses his sound, my lines immediately reflect on that, and all of a sudden I see what I'm creating in that moment, images that I wasn't expecting to see. For example, one time when I was creating a work and I saw people were carrying almost like coffins going, and I, I was shocked to see that. I wasn't planning to do that, but the music dictated for me to feel that emotions and to reflect on that. And those things happen very fast. I have a minute or two to create this piece and I'm always going forward because it's, I'm squeezing the paint without thinking about creating work. Just the lines and these lines are smudged with my fingers and creating almost like a, a clay. You're, you're kind of uh, connecting it with time. These are the, the, the process in the structure of the piece. We have a pre-recorded video and live drawing. And also Kenan has a pre-recorded sound and live sound. So those things are measured and planned. So we know what we're doing from beginning until end, but we keep some surprise element the way I said to improvise.
0: You will be in residency at the LEAD Center for Performing Arts, adapting Home Within for Quartet. So there's yet another change, another development in this work. Can you explain how that's working?
1: The change... Actually, happened many many years back. We've been, uh, you know, figuring out the best way to bring home within to our family at Silk Road again because we wanted to expand the narrative. And speaking of narrative, I just want to uh, be clear on one point that we are not trying to summarize a Syrian story. If like one should not expect uh, to come and see the performance and then they will have a clear idea of what what Syria is or was or is to become. I think if you want to really know what the Syrian story, you have to listen to 24 million Syrians telling their stories. Only then would you start to grasp something of what's going on. The process of actually of bringing uh, home within Two Silk Road uh, started much earlier. The discussion about it, and it you know there are two sides. There is the emotional aspect and the technical aspect. The technical aspect, reworking all the scores, writing some new music, and allowing space, like your work mentioned earlier to have other members of the ensemble to bring in their own stories. The Syrian story is not only a Syrian tragedy, but also it's a human tragedy. We wanted other people to raise that question about home, to hear other narratives. All the scores have been reworked. Because of COVID-19 limitation, of course, we couldn't be in the same space for a long time. So we're using these two days uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, to actually expand the work and to work more on the technical uh, side of things. But emotionally, we already are offering an open space for a multitude of narratives because I think these multitude of narratives can crystallize the concept of home even clearer.
0: In this last year when people have had to stay home or shelter in place, isolated and feeling very isolated, that concept of home I think has become something that people all over the globe are almost meditating on by force.
1: Being at home, being in one place, I think that's when your imagination kicks in because the world becomes these two blocks where you live. And this being grounded for this uh, year allowed me to notice elements that otherwise I haven't been noticing. I mean, to, to give you a very simple example, uh, we moved in November a year and a half ago to this uh, apartment in Brooklyn with a little backyard. And it was the first time after living in New York for 20 years that I pay attention to the soil and the soul of New York. The first time that I noticed the birds, the first time that I noticed the change of seasons. And this, I don't know if this reflects immediately in the music I'm creating, but it certainly fueled uh, my brain and my heart.
0: Kivork, for you, has this last year affected you
2: in similar ways? It affected me in a at the beginning in a very hard way because i lost all of my projects because all of my projects was i needed to be there physically like exhibitions and performances but what was interesting i did not think that i could send signal to like-minded people thinkers and musicians and composers saying that let's start the dialogue, intimate dialogue, like send me a piece of music, like a minute or two, let me just create something and post it, let's say on social media, just to share with the world that we are still alive. Because if you're a musician, artist and painter, you need to kind of kick this pulse, leave this heart beating, it's important. Otherwise we will diminish, we will die. Because if you inspire others to see that we're still thinking and creating, others will get inspired, you get that back from them. So that was a very different way of working.
0: I've been talking here with Kivork Murad, a Syrian-Armenian visual artist, as well as Kenan Ozma, a clarinetist, a composer, member of the Silk Road Ensemble. The Silk Road Ensemble's performance of Home Within, hosted by the LEAD Center, is both in person and online coming up on Thursday, April 15th at 7.30 p.m. Kenan and Kivork, thanks so much. A pleasure talking with you.
1: Our Thank pleasure. you very much. Obey. You, Always a pleasure talking to you.
0: You can find more about this performance on our website. That address is netnebraska.org slash radio.
3: Dave Hughes. Sadiq Tsukogi is the author of Your Crib, My Kibla. His chapbook, Inside the Flower Room, was selected by Kwame Dawes and Chris Abani for APBF New Generation African Poets chapbook series. His poems have appeared or are forthcoming in the Cincinnati Review, Gulf Coast, Kenyon Review, Oxford Poetry, Poetry Society of America, Prairie Schooner, and other literary journals and magazines. He is a finalist of Brunel International African Poetry Prize and a recipient of fellowships and grants from Nebraska Arts Council, PEN America, Obsidian Foundation, and the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Today,
4: he reads two of his poems. Quenching. It is to be hoped that a tree will let its leaves rot into earth as nourishment. He is searching for a piece of ribbon, finds it hanging on the door hedge, steers long until he hears a voice rising from the knotted edges of the silk. And he enters into a conversation like a racehorse released into fire. Your songs endure inside his bones. They will nourish the loneliness, yours and his. Shattered. A raven song echoes against a wall, where the bark of a tree is a rough marble face, a place to put his tongue so it says what needs to be heard. Nothing is sustained inside his mouth but stories, stories that deepen everything looking for light inside the raven's mouth, steeped in the dense waters of morning. Sadness runs like a white horse deep into the gravity human eyes have never touched, until it scratches the place where a soul is weak, where a flaw is most visible, where light fills his bones until light and darkness collapse into each other. The mind turns into a hem, a black hole where escape is a prayer that is never answered. Prayer is now the dark side of light, a night so impenetrable heavy, with a silence that tears the neighborhood, his skin, his entire body. Sadiq Tsukogi read Shattered and
3: Quenching. Tsukogi is a Ph.D. student at UNL and serves as assistant poetry editor for Prairie Schooner. He can be found on Twitter at S-A-D-D-I-Q-D-Z-U-K-O-G-I.
0: Kurt Runestead, Professor and Director of Choral and Vocal Activities at Doane University in Crete, also Music Department Chair. There's a couple of spring music concerts coming up that will be streamed on Facebook. Kurt, it's great to see you.
5: It is great to see you too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, as we chat here over Zoom. So I don't know what we would have done with these performances without the internet.
5: We're grateful for any chance to move ahead with some music making. It's been complex, but we're grateful for, for what we have.
0: How have you been and your students been at Tone?
5: We're trudging and limping along like the rest of the world. Again, grateful for what we do have. Uh, I think, you know, we've given up a lot all artists have, right? Um, But certainly Doan has been in session with live students since last fall. And so we've been able to keep our in-person music making going. Greatly changed from pre-pandemic times. Smaller groups, shorter periods of time, a lot of outdoor music making, that kind of thing. And of course, always masked. But Having said that, it's still better than not having any choir in my life at all. My singers and I experienced that last spring, and, and that was, you know, a, a particularly dark time to have to give up all of that.
0: Speaking of outdoors, you actually have a couple of concerts on Saturday, April 10th. One is at 1 p.m. and another is at 3.30 p.m. And I understand that the band is playing
5: outdoors. Our two concerts are essentially divided up into a one o'clock outdoor concert and a 3.30 indoor concert. The band students um, who have been playing with their instruments masked all year, particularly the brass instruments, it's hard to be satisfied with the sound that comes out of their horn when they have to have their horn masked. So they would greatly prefer to, to uh, play outside. So that's the one o'clock concert. Our jazz ensemble and our concert band. And then also a little bit of choir singing at the very end of that. But the the majority of the choir singing will happen inside at 3.30. And that's a a great preference for us as singers. Although the pictures of us standing around outside singing can be really beautiful and inspirational. Um, And we've been putting those up and, and, and people are very kind about saying, you know, it's so cool that you've been able to keep Music alive, and that is true. However, the experience that singers have when you're standing around outside is isn't very satisfying. That sound falls out of your mouth and it's gone in just a in a a millisecond, and you can't hear anything. Uh, You can't certainly hear uh, people a choir away from you, And, and when we're standing six feet apart, choirs take up a lot of space, so you're very far apart and you can't hear anything. And so, we're grateful to have an opportunity to do. The 3.30 concert indoors uh, in Heckman Auditorium, but no audience, uh, everything live streamed.
0: We will watch for that on Facebook. What music have you programmed?
5: A nice variety. My band colleague um, is uh, playing music uh, by uh, Frank Tichelli, um and is premiering his transcription and edition of the Lumir Havlicek on the Big Blue um, a March. Lumir Havlicek was a Nebraska uh, area band director, lived in Crete, uh, directed the National Guard band, military bands, and worked at Done and worked at Crete High School. And my colleague and friend Jay Gilbert has been uh, working on an edition of that with some students and they'll premiere that at the end of the band set. The jazz ensemble, we have two jazz ensembles, one instrumental and one vocal. They'll do a variety of jazz standards. The choirs are doing some pieces uh, by Emma Lou Deemer, Three Madrigals to Shakespeare Texts, the beautiful um, O oh Love by Elaine Hagenberg, and uh, a beautiful piece about the immigrant experience called Journey Home by Minnesota composer, Abby uh, Bettinas. That's the combined choir stuff. Um, so there should be a, a nice variety. Double-wide uh, contemporary men's a cappella ensemble is on this concert. So some popular styles. There should be kind of something for everybody.
0: Interesting. How do you find pieces like the one about the immigrant experience, for example? How do you come across these?
5: Abby Bettinas and I went to the same school in Minnesota and so I've kind of known about her and have heard a lot of her choral music and I wanted to program something by her this spring so was just kind of listening through and studying through. I have a, a whole folder of her music for example and I'm kind of a composer-oriented person so and I tend to kind of run in streaks. so once I find a composer that I really like I'll Perform her or his music several years in a row, you know, kind of working through some of what they've been working on. As I said, should be a should be a good variety, jazz and popular stuff. Don't Choir is singing a a gospel piece called "Never Alone," which is by Tori Kelly and Kirk Franklin, and it's arranged by a a former member of Don't Choir, Marcus Higgins, and myself that piece too should have wide um, applicability and relevance to anybody listening, never alone. This is certainly a time in the world where we have all felt alone and to be reminded that we're really not is an important message.
0: Well, I've been talking here with Kurt Runestad, professor, director of choral activities and vocal activities, as well as music department chair at Doan University. He and his cohort, Jay Gilbert, are leading a couple of concerts. The Doan University spring music concerts are coming up Saturday, April 10th at 1 p.m. and at 3.30 p.m. And those are streamed on their Facebook page. Kurt, thanks so much. Anything we missed?
4: No,
5: thank you very much for having me, and we'll look forward to seeing a bunch of you at the E! concert.
0: You're listening to Friday Live here on NET Radio. I'm Genevieve Randall. Did a loud passenger in your car just interrupt your Friday Live experience? The digital world has given us a do-over. We podcast the show each week and you can look for that later this afternoon on our Facebook page or on our website. The address is netnebraska.org. Stay with Friday Live. Highlights from our arts calendar are ahead as well as music, theater, and art in Lincoln, Norfolk, and online. Bassoon music that we hear today is often thanks to... To arrangers and ensembles that came before.
2: Some of my favorite albums were from the Caliban Quartet and the South Minneapolis Bassoon Quartet, who was uh, you know, an all-female uh, bassoon quartet um, in the Minneapolis area. I listened, if those were records, they would have deep grooves in them, but luckily the CDs were very, very sturdy because I listened to those almost nonstop.
0: Hear about a concert of bassoon music streamed online. Meet the assistant professor of bassoon from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and learn a little bit about one of the rarer instruments in the Woodwind family all on this week's Friday Live Extra podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find it on our website, netnebraska.org slash radio. And while you're online, be sure to check out the arts calendar on our website. There are some online-only or other socially distant events there, in addition to some in-person events. Feel free to submit your own Arts or Humanities event. That address to either Find Events or Add Your Own is netnebraska.org slash radio. Just click Events. Here are some highlights. The Shadron State College Wind Symphony and Community Band have a concert tonight at 7 p.m., Director of bands Dr. John Wojcik leads a concert at Memorial Hall Auditorium. In Beatrice this weekend, the community players are staging Once Upon a Pine, The Adventures of Pinocchio. That's tonight and tomorrow at 7.30 and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. And the Black and Gold Performing Arts Series in Wayne, Nebraska, features a Raisin in the Sun that's held in Ramsey Theatre. For more information about these and other events, visit our website, netnebraska.org slash radio.
4: Support for humanities-related
6: programming on NET comes from Humanities Nebraska, Delivering opportunities to engage with history and culture. On the web at humanitiesnebraska.org.
0: Support for programming also comes from Constellation Studios, a mixed-use artist's workspace for all types of printmaking and paper projects featuring printing presses, bookmaking, type shop, and wet paper studio. For info, info, constellation-studios.net. Support for programming also comes from the Lincoln Crossroads Music Festival, Lincoln's own Folk, World, and Chamber Music Festival. Crossroads Conversations, a series of video interviews with local and international artists, is airing online now. Two new episodes will go up every week through April 15th at lincolncrossroadsmusic.org. You're listening to Friday Live on NET Radio. Next, we have a concert to talk about, which is tonight from Lincoln Symphony Orchestra. That concert starts at 7.30. There is a pre-concert chat. That's a half an hour before the concert starts. That's online, streaming online. So it's the same web link. Those who go early can see the pre-concert chat and then hear a concert featuring music by Florence Price. DBR will explain what those letters mean in a moment, as well as Beethoven. So I'm joined to talk about that concert by a featured soloist, also the pianist for Lincoln Symphony, orchestra, Richard Fountain, LSO's music director, Ed Polichick, and we're also joined by executive director, Barbara Zak Lee. Great to have you all on the show this week.
7: Thanks for having us. Great to see you. you.
0: Let's talk about Beethoven first, and then let's talk about some of the other music that's on this program, because I think it's pretty neat that we have this nice, diverse mix. And Beethoven, something that's been important to Lincoln Symphony Orchestra, because around the world, over 2020, everyone was leading up to this celebration of Beethoven's 250th birthday, and then plans kind of changed so we get to continue the celebration we can just decide when to celebrate right
7: it's like almost all birthdays or any celebration it's just ongoing you just want to keep it going (laughs) and it's easy with beethoven it really is
8: beethoven next year will only look 250 years old even though he's 251 we have a septet that you have programmed ed maybe
0: tell us a little bit about the septet
7: both of these works, the, the Beethoven Septet and the Second Piano Concerto, are very early works. Uh, if you divide uh, Beethoven into his three periods—early, middle, and late—and um, each period is is really quite different, you get a, a, a tremendous um, uh, palette of works that you can program of beethoven and never lose the interest of what's going on these two particular works are actually back to back they're opus 19 and opus 20 in terms of when they were published and written of course in his early earlier period the septet seven players only right a clarinet a bassoon a horn and then one violin one viola one cello one bass make up for a, a real, rather unusual mix of players, and particularly for that time period that that he put together. And the, the septet can be done in, in many different kinds of ways, whether you want to use just one string on a part or a small string or a larger string uh, complement that go along with the clarinet uh, bassoon and and horn but we're doing the original just just seven players it's a work actually of six movements um but because of length of of this particular production we we omitted the second and the fifth movement which i mean just killed me it was like tearing my heart out of my body when I had to to make those decisions (laughs) uh, in doing it. It's a forward-thinking work in, in terms of Beethoven because you get all of the conventions of what was going on. And he was a product, of course, of the Baroque and the classical period. But you can always tell that it's Beethoven because he keeps on pulling the rug out from underneath all of our ears um, so that we're we're left standing on our heads sometimes, going, "Wow, where did that come from? I thought I was hearing some Mozart and, or or Haydn, and boy, it's not. It's it's truly Beethoven."
0: And then is this Beethoven concerto, which features Richard Fountain. Is this the first time you've gotten to come back to Nebraska and play since the beginning of this whole pandemic thing?
9: I've actually been back a couple of times for some of the pre-recorded shows. But this is definitely the first time where there will be a real live concert, which is very exciting to do, even though, of course, we won't have a, an in-person audience. But the idea, at least, that we will be live and that people will be watching with us in that same moment as we do the music is very, very meaningful.
0: Tell me a little bit about, for our listeners, Beethoven as a writer for piano
9: everybody assumes oh you know beethoven wrote the piano sonatas they're they're like you know we talk about the piano sonatas as being the new testament of the piano repertoire the old testament is the bach well uh um, he wrote the concerti he wrote all this you know the chamber music and the irony is at least in my world and of course ed can correct me because he's much smarter than me i don't really <laughs> think that beethoven you know when he writes for piano i think he really is thinking orchestra it's not the most idiomatic stuff in the world. you know. It's not at all like playing Chopin or Liszt or Ravel. It can be very uh, chunky at times, or just the way that he voices things and the way that he kind of puts the layers together, because I think in his head, he was hearing all of these different sound combinations. And so I think to play it well and to sort of shape it correctly, you have to be kind of imagining all of these different layers happening or, or color changes and different combinations of things. And even in the concerti, you know, it, it, it is very strange because you'll have these moments where you're really not the main thing going on. But, you know, in the in the second movement, Ed, the, the, where the piano does these little arpeggios in the middle of it. And it's really all about the winds, you know, doing that yeah. lovely melody there. And the piano becomes more like a little string motive. Exactly. Yeah. When I remember in my days studying with Leon Fleischer,
7: he used to talk about the orchestration of Beethoven in his piano works. I mean, Beethoven was a pianist. As a, a forger uh, and a, a kind of a rebel, Beethoven was always much more forward-thinking than those of his classical um, uh, period contemporaries, like Haydn, whom he, he whom he worshipped. So, in a way, you get this very strong orchestral writing for the piano, along with an orchestra. I mean, it's it's great. It's just incredible. And might I point out, too, that we, we call this his second piano concerto. The second piano concerto was actually the first one that he wrote.
0: We should mention that April 9th today is the birthday of Florence Price. So that's another birthday to celebrate, but also someone who had a few barriers. She did have success with her music. I know that the Chicago Symphony Orchestra performed one of her pieces,
7: that was the first time a yeah. major orchestra did any composition of an African-American composer.
0: Both as a Black composer, as a woman, she did have a few barriers, so that makes her a pioneer, too.
7: I love programming Beethoven with all of these various kind of lesser-known and, and very uh, uh, forward-thinking types of compositions. And Florence Price, when, when you hear this piece... I think you're going to be actually swept away by the, the sheer beauty of the, the, the lyricism, the lushness, and the depth of the of the way she writes for strings. It's really a beautiful piece of music.
0: And then we get to hear music by a current composer. His full name is Daniel Bernard Roumain, but he often goes just by initials DBR, which I think makes him sound even cooler, an innovative Haitian composer. How did you discover Roumain and how did you decide to program this particular work?
7: I look at him as very much a pioneer. This is also from a string quartet and a nice kind of uh, way of of bringing this all together is the string quartet that he dedicated to Rosa Parks. Uh, This particular movement also expanded for string orchestra has this incredible driving, rhythmic, incessantly steady, tempo that builds and builds and builds and builds and really is probably, you might say, less concerned about the actual notes, pitches, and intonation than it is about where that rhythm is. He even invites the orchestra to clap and stop their feet. When it's appropriate or when it's possible, so you you get this really invigorating and almost festering of excitement that builds within you because you're, you're almost breathless in its drive uh, to the end of the end of the movement. It's it's a great piece of music.
0: Ed, this is your first time back in Nebraska in quite some time,
7: in over a year, and I have to tell you a funny story and then a very poignant one. Uh, I was up to Pennsylvania to visit with my family over the Easter weekend, last weekend, and it was in the low 20s, the entire time it actually snowed. I drove back to Baltimore on Easter Sunday and found that I was into this 60-degree weather, which was really very pleasant. The next morning I got on a plane, came out here to Lincoln and it was close to 90 degrees and my poor body, my metabolism didn't know really how to take all of this. I had my first rehearsal on on Tuesday evening and I told the orchestra that this past year was really the saddest and most depressing year of my life and how great it was to be back. And at the end of the rehearsal, I thanked them all for giving me my year back. And I'm just, I was overwhelmed. It was was a very tearful, but very beautiful and very celebratory time in my life to be back here in Lincoln. I love it. I've missed this, this orchestra, this community tremendously.
0: Barbara, I do have one last question for you that maybe is just a little bit of a logistical question. I have had my second shot and I did have some symptoms from it. And when they set those appointments for your second shot, you really just have to go and and take it. Musicians don't necessarily have the option of staying home in their pajamas and taking the Tylenol or the ibuprofen. How are the members of your orchestra handling that if they've been scheduled for the shot and then have to play the gig?
8: From the very, very beginning of all of this, we have prioritized the health and safety of our orchestra members above all else. That is priority number one. And so if anyone has the opportunity to get the shot and they take it and they're not feeling well, The show will go on without them if they're not able to do it. It's more important in the long run that they get vaccinated and are able to play safely together. We're really hoping that everyone will be on stage this evening and it may not
7: be the case. We, We already know because some people have been having some reaction to shots, but we'll
0: see. It's an exciting time just to be able to have this music and to have Ed Politic back in town to conduct the first concert in a, a long, long time since the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, featuring pianist Richard Fountain, soloing on music by Beethoven. There's also a Beethoven septet, as well as music by Daniel Bernard Romain and Florence Price. The concert starts at 7.30 p.m. There is a pre-concert chat. You will see and hear some familiar faces and voices in a Zoom chat. That is a half an hour before the concert starts. And this is an online stream, one-time live experience only. Barbara Zockley is executive director for Lincoln Symphony Orchestra. Richard Fountain is pianist with LSO, and Edward Palachik is music director. Thanks so much for talking with me about tonight's concert, guys. Thank you. Pleasure. And you're listening to Friday Live on NET Radio. You can find out more about this Lincoln Symphony Orchestra concert as well as anything you hear about on the show this morning by going to the Friday Live page, and that is at netnebraska.org. My next guest here on Friday Live is music director as well as cast member for a musical, backed by popular demand. Pump boys and dinettes, a second stop, and tada is the engine behind that production. See the car metaphor I used there, Wonderful. Michael Tully. It's great to have <laughs> you in the studio.
6: Thanks, Genevieve. It's great to be here.
0: I'm a fan of a good pun, so yeah. you know I'll bring that in there. Now you also play Jim in the show. In addition to being music director. Tell me about the characters in the show. Yeah.
6: So, uh, well, the characters are, um, they're just regular folks, you know, uh, the the pump boys and dinettes. We've got one side of the stage is set up as a um, country diner, cafe type of deal. The other side is this uh, gas station, or I, I suppose service station, since we're car mechanics and whatnot. Gotcha. But uh, we're just kind of, you know, done with a long, hard day of work. And uh, we notice uh, people are in our midst, you know, it's that, that, that fourth wall. That we break, yeah. so we walk out and say, "Well, hi everybody! Thanks for pulling up to the station. We're glad you're here. In fact, we'll sing some songs, <laughs> right?" <laughs> so
0: uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. So the audience gets kind of drawn in as if they're part of the whole deal. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
6: And you know, the the, the show originated uh, with music only. The 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 actors, uh, the musicians, wrote this show back in the well, I guess it was early '80s, and um, so then they thought, hey, we've got something here. So they added a storyline, a little bit of dialogue so that they could get from one song to the next uh in a seamless I gotcha, way.
0: I gotcha. And how big a cast for this?
6: Uh, I suppose there's six of us six? on the stage, uh-huh. right? Yeah, four yeah. of the guys and two of the ladies.
0: Tada has a nice, intimate space. How do you guys protect each other during these strange times?
6: <laughs> yeah, well, we've got some, uh, some wonderful um, clear masks that we use uh, during the rehearsal process. Mm. Uh, because we did the show just, what was it, under two years ago, um, it hasn't taken a, a lot of time to jump back into things and, and bring it up to speed. And so um, that's been that's been very helpful. But then also uh, the theater itself, um, the audience will be masked too, of course. And the theater itself ha- has uh, installed a air filtration system. And so um, I don't know the science behind it and whatnot, but it's uh, you know cleans things up and uh, it's 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 a safe environment for everybody.
0: Excellent, excellent. Now the the action here at the at the kind of diner slash you know auto mechanic place. It's 1950s. Is that sort of the era that we're feeling or not? No, I don't
6: think so. I mean, it's kind of the era in which it was written. It's kind of like, Uh, you know, 70s. uh, They talk about Uncle Bob's old Winnebago sitting (laughs) out back needing some repairs. But it could be said that I suppose the the, the vibe of the diner, maybe it's a 50s diner that is now, you know, uh, in the 70s, if you will.
0: It's lasted through those decades. Because there is something to that atmosphere, I think, that's kind of fun. And we do think back to the 50s, the original kind. A golden era of the car, right? Mm -hmm. When we think of both of those things, dinettes, you know, going to a diner and traveling across the country in your car and needing those auto mechanics. Yeah, that Route
6: 66 vibe is definitely there, you know, talking about the Edsels and the Oldsmobiles and the Volkswagens and that we're working on. And uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And and the music, I mean, uh, from song to song, it it really um, takes a broad look at the many different uh, popular music genres, you know, Mm -hmm. if you will, everything from the fifties, rockabilly, rock and roll, a little bit of country, uh, Southern rock. Um, I play the mandolin, the, uh, 12 string guitar, six string guitar, a little bit of banjo and the harmonica. So, uh, it's kind of my multifaceted approach here with this show, but, uh, you know, chords and a little bit of finger-picking. And then we've got Bill Maltis, who is a wonderful uh, musician on on the keyboards. Um, we're dialing in different sounds there, and uh, a bass player and uh, a drummer who just do an amazing job as well.
0: And when audience sees you, for example, sing a song and play the banjo at the same time, they're really hearing you play the banjo?
6: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you know, Genevieve, I'll I'll tell you this because uh, don't tell anybody else. It's actually a okay. six-string banjo, which is really a, uh, it's really a guitar. It, some some of those purists out there right now are scoffing. Uh, they call it the banjitar. The banjitar.
0: Yeah. So as, as
6: long as you know how to you know shape c- those chords on a guitar, you can play this banjo.
0: I see. Okay. Well, is the mandolin then a five-string mandolin? No, no, no. That's a mind- real mando.
6: Oh, yeah, a okay. real mandolin. And uh, I've, I've played that for quite a while, so uh, we're, we're good on that one.
0: <laughs> so that's kind of cool. You've got this cast pulled together that has a particular set of skills and talents. Yes. Nice, yes. nice. And I noticed there's um, both online in-person options. I'll mention that to accommodate various comfort levels, I see. I kind of wonder these days, we talk to a lot of folks who are doing that, if that's something that either Tada or others will be doing doing going forward, offering both options?
6: You know, I I tend to think so. Um, you know, for example, I was just talking to someone out in the lobby that uh, to Dave, that that my parents who live in Wisconsin, for example, they d- they're not traveling a whole lot these days, and so all of a sudden, uh, by necessity, we've got this live streaming option to watch a show, and uh, that's wonderful to them because they get to uh, purchase a ticket and watch it from uh, anywhere. So anywhere.
0: yeah, that's um, true.
6: Yeah, definitely. And and you know, I should I should mention that we've uh, spent um, a lot of time configuring, uh, p- you know, m- microphone placement and camera placement. We've mm-hmm upgraded our whole system there at TADA so that we can uh, provide a, a real qu- high quality product for people yeah
0: you know, what occurs to me as you describe this, it's a a little bit like even pre-pandemic with a football game. I mean, there's the experience of being at the game and there's things that come with that, the smell of hot dogs and the person next to you cheering too loudly or, you know, whatever. But there's also the experience of watching it produced and getting the benefit of that sound production and different camera angles and whatnot. So similar, but different experience from being live and in person. Exactly. Interesting. Well, Michael, before I let you go, what's, what's a song or a moment in the show that brings the biggest smile to your face?
6: Well, you know, um, I'd say any time that there is a sweet harmony. You know, that uh-huh. chord that rings. There's one, one song in particular, I'm thinking the, the three of us guys we sing, it's almost like a, uh, if I dare say, a Nova Scotian Canadian seafaring moment Ooh, where we, we talk about... You We love a good fish and uh, we talk about, um, you know, I was lured by the moon to the coast of Carolina. <laughs> I was hooked at the Crystal Motel. You know, one of these and then when they build the harmonies and just, just hearing that feedback from other people. You know, we've been away from each other for so long and being able to uh, stand safely uh, next to some folks who are singing and ringing chords, it's great. And when the whole ensemble sings the, the, the main song, the, the Highway 57 theme, um, to be able to stand up there together and deliver a message, I, th- I think people are just going to have a great time. The show is full of energy. Um, yes, we mentioned we're all up on stage playing those those instruments, and it just really lifts people up. It's a, a toe-tapping good time.
0: Something to tap the toes and put a smile on your face. Michael yes. Tully is music director and playing Jim in Pump Boys and Dinettes at Tadah Theater in Lincoln. That musical can be seen in person or online, and we'll have a link to more at netnebraska.com. Slash radio. Michael Tully, take care. Thanks for spending time with me this morning on Friday Live.
6: Thank you very much, Genevieve.
0: Run Me to the Earth by Paul Yoon it is a beautifully written novel about losing everything. All About Books host Pat Leach reviewed this story set in 1960s Laos where three orphans, a boy and two sisters are surviving the war by transporting medical supplies for a hospital. The first section of this book establishes those three as a kind of family created in the absence of parents or other responsible adults. In the midst of this profoundly chaotic life, they have each other, and they have meaningful work. This period of relative stability comes to an end when the hospital staff and most patients are evacuated out of the country. You can learn more about Run Me to Earth, a novel by Paul Yoon, on our website, netnebraska.org slash allaboutbooks.
10: I am William Padmore with Friday Live. If you're looking for an art gallery to tour and also appreciate the spirit of competition, our next event will be of interest. My guest is Denise Hansen, the executive director of the Norfolk Art Center, and she's talking about the center's 14th annual juried competition going on right now through May 27th. Welcome.
11: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
10: So tell me a little bit about this competition, sort of what kind of art can we expect, Um, who are the artists?
11: So we have um, just under 30 artists this year that are from really all across the Midwest. This is a competition that we do every year for 14 years now, Um, you know, as you mentioned, and each year we get a different judge. This year, our judge is John Timothy Pizzuto from the, he's a professor at the University of South Dakota. And so he was our judge that curated the show this year. It's always a blind judging. So the artists submit their work and basically our judge goes off of uh, judges, just the work itself and, and curates the show. So the fun part about always having a different judge is the show always looks a little different and it's always a favorite show for me because it's really the work that artists are doing right now. It's stuff that they just completed in the last year or two and it's always great to get so many different perspectives in one room in one eclectic show to kind of see like I said what what the art world is doing right now.
10: And that sort of leads me to a broader more I guess existential question, and forgive me if this is rather broad, but from your perspective, what is the benefit of judging something as subjective as art? I always go back to Van Gogh. I remember uh, reading when he was alive, you know, nobody really regarded his paintings as much as anything. Only after he passed, did he reached uh, fame. So, so what's the benefit of placing art in first, second, and last place?
11: As far as the the placings go, um, you know, it really it, it solidifies and gives credit to that. Art and working artists uh, are a true profession, and giving them accreditation for their talent, their skills, their work—that this isn't, you know. Obviously, some people we get we get our hobby artists and full-time working artists, but art is sometimes things that are that are just overlooked and, and thought of specifically as a as a hobby. But to think of it as a true profession and to give people accreditation for their work, um, just like a, a musician or a writer or you know any kind of creative talent that it gives value to it
10: i love that how have things been you know organizing this during a pandemic i'm sure there have been more than a few challenges
11: yes definitely well this time last year obviously the world was was very much shut down and we were kind of in a place because we do this show every april and so we were thinking, well, what do we do? The long-term effects were not really kind of clear at this point. So we still went forward with a jury show last year. Um, we hung the show. We lit the show. We had a virtual opening. Unfortunately, no in-person viewing was possible. And so this year... Obviously, there still are challenges, but um, we're just really excited to be able to have people join us in the gallery again this year and to be able to see the work because the artists are so uh, enthusiastic and proud and just want to be a part of the show and want to be together we're just excited to have people come back into the space obviously we're taking all the, the necessary safety precautions social distancing wearing masks and and all of that but just to be able to comparatively from where we were this time last year to where we are today it just really makes you appreciate what you have and how how important a gallery is how important just gathering with people is
10: no doubt I know I, for one, am rearing and ready to start interacting in my areas of interest again.
11: <laughs> Absolutely.
10: We are getting to that time. The vaccinations are rolling out.
11: There is hope on the future.
10: How have you been doing? How How are you? Oh. Mental health check. How are you? How are Yeah,
11: you? yeah, that's, oh, well, thank you. That's it. I really appreciate you asking that. I think that, like you said, with the vaccinations coming out, there's just hope in the future. There's so much light. I've... Just started to see people again. The Art Center officially reopened back to our full-time hours back in March, and that's kind of when people slowly started to come back in, and it's been so enriching and just fulfilling to be able to talk to people again, people that I haven't seen in person for over a year, and just to check in with everybody and say, how are you doing? And just to make those reconnections, you know, like I said, just to be grateful that we're able to do those things, because so much of that stuff you just take for granted, um, that you just can go out and see people. And then when that element is taken away from you, you realize how important it is to to society, to life,
10: and I guess my final question is: um, so we have the competition going on right now through May twenty seventh. Uh, what else is going on at the center that we should be attuned to?
11: We're kind of easing back into things. I mentioned March was just when we started to really fully back open. Um, we are slowly introducing some classes. Um, we're starting with some kids classes, about one every other week or so. So you can check out our website, Norfolk Art Center dot org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram um, to kind of check out what those classes are coming up. And we're looking forward to to just slowly, like I said, hope is on the horizon this summer. We're hoping to bring back more and more things and just kind of slowly, safely, but continue to just move forward and continue to to get back to the life that we, that we all want to be in.
10: Ms. Hansen, thank you so much for taking the time out and being on the show. I appreciate it
11: it was such a pleasure thank you william
10: i've been speaking with denise hansen executive director of the norfolk art center about their ongoing juried competition going on right now for more information make sure to head to our website slash friday live i'm william padmore with friday live
0: you're listening to NET Radio, streaming online at netnebraska.org. Next year on Friday Live, Project Project has a new exhibition. KVNO's Corbin Hirschhorn tells us about it.
6: Project Project Gallery in South Omaha will open a new installation tonight, A Room with No Corners, by Sophia Rupert.
8: This is an installation that I've been wanting to do for a couple of years now. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I decided to sew a bunch of fabric together and make a balloon or sort of womb shape that I inflated with a fan and lit from the outside and and crawled into. And it was a big enough space for me to just sit in there. Um, It was really atmospheric. It was a a really pleasant space. And so I saw that as a sort of prototype for a much larger installation. And I'm really happy to bring this idea to, to fruition. So my installation here at Project Project is a similar version of that inflated balloon it's it's about 16 feet long i think um, maybe seven or eight feet tall and so it's it's sewn together white fabric that's inflated with a fan um, there's a door that one person at a time can enter into and uh sit in the middle and look towards one end and i'll have projections uh a, a really soft blue projection from the outside and and I'm, I'm hoping, I haven't finished install yet, but it should imitate a sort of cathedral window or an atmospheric, just play with depth and, and perception. And the idea is that you become engrossed with those projections and this room with no corners and you sort of lose your sense of bodily relativity uh, and, and just... Um, have a, a sort of calming uh, a calming experience.
6: This experimental work is new territory for Rupert, but the inspiration comes from
2: childhood.
8: Yeah, this is like nothing I've ever done before. Uh, typically, I work with found object manipulation, some installation, um, and assemblage. And with this idea, when I made that initial prototype, I made it just for me as a, as a sort of calming space and the great thing about this gallery project project is that it's an experimental art space and so it doesn't really demand conventionality from the shows that, that um, are installed here. And so I would classify this as new media since there's uh, projections and, and interactions um, and you know light and, and some sound so the initial idea for this um i i grew up with an uncle who had a hot air balloon and when he would inflate the hot air balloon he would roll it out into a field and the balloon is actually called an envelope and they would inflate it on the ground and so as he would shoot air into the balloon it would um slowly inflate and and they let us run around in there and as a kid in that enormous space with no corners and in lots of colors it was one of the first spiritual experiences i ever remember having and and so i wanted to to emulate that and and to to mimic that that experience in a uh, definitely not a religious setting Uh, so it's it's uh, spiritual i think without being religious in any way
6: a room with no corners opens tonight at project project For more information, go to projectprojectomaha.com. For Friday Live, I'm Corbin Hershorn.
0: Coming up this morning on NET Radio, classical music on morning concert. And this afternoon, Bruce Wallace is in for Laura Black with Classics by Request. Be sure to visit the NET website for podcasts of the show at netnebraska.org/slash radio. Portions of Friday Live are pre-recorded, thanks to everyone who makes Friday Live possible, including Carrie Meese, William Padmore, and associate producer Dave Hughes. I'm Genevieve Randall. Support for programming on NET Radio comes from Brian Luther at Compass Financial Resources, helping Nebraska educators better understand their pensions and retirement benefits through educator workshops. For dates, locations, and individual consultations, compassnebr.com backslash upcoming events. Support for programming also comes from Union Bank and Trust with hardship loans and special considerations to help customers through these uncertain times. The people of UBT are here for Nebraskans and available by phone anytime. Member FDIC.